welcome to episode one. Maybe you've already heard episode zero. If not, it's not essential, but it might give some kind of explanation about who I am and why I'm making this podcast. Anybody who has heard it and anyone who's sent me any feedback, which has been very pleasantly positive up until now, thank you so much for that. There are a couple of questions that have come up. One of the biggest questions is why this podcast is aimed primarily at men. So I did explain that obviously I am a cis white male and so that's who it's easiest for me to relate to. I'm also doing the podcast because I feel like it's the podcast maybe that would have been good for me to have heard a year or two ago when I was in not such a good space as I feel like I am now. The facts speak for themselves, you know. In the UK, this is the only figures that I've really looked up and got in front of me at the moment. There's a suicide every 90 minutes. And over three quarters of those are men. So unfortunately, yeah, my brothers out there are more likely to commit suicide. The biggest cause of death in men under 45 is suicide. And so I think just because of those statistics, because of my own experience and my own journey, that's why this podcast is aimed at men. The lovely thing is, I've had some wonderful feedback from lots of ladies out there as well. So yeah, like I said, I just, hope that I reach out to somebody and maybe give just one person a little bit of a a head start in their day perhaps. Another big reason for me to do this is that I've realised that I am a very vocal person. I don't mean that I'm loud and shouty, I have been loud and shouty, but I just mean that when I speak, when I put things into words, then I pull my focus in so much more. And I don't know how many of you know that feeling. Um, You say something sometimes in a conversation where you're really focused on what you're trying to put across, the point you're trying to put across. And as you say it, you realize yourself, well, yeah, that's what I think. Now I've put it into words. Yeah, that's what I think. And so, yeah, this vocalization, focus, and realization has been important for me. So... I know some people think I talk too much. (laughs) I don't mind. The other thing that I wanted to say at the beginning of this episode is that this is not a self-help course. That's not what I'm planning at all, you know. I explained in episode zero uh, roughly sort of the themes that I want to cover and the direction I want to go in with a rough order of which uh, I'd like to do the episodes. As I said then, I hold the space for me to be able to change my mind at any time you know I'm not beholden to anyone which is nice because I'm not doing this for money I'm not doing this for fame I don't need a sponsor I've got the use of a brilliant recording studio through a very generous friend who sets it up for me to come in here and make my recordings so yeah Helga if you're listening thank you so much for that 
because it's not about making money, because it's not about sponsors, I'm free to do whatever I choose. Just as you're absolutely free to turn off at any time you want, tune in at any time you want. It's all no commitment. That's the thing. So, yeah, just makes it easier, I guess. Doing it because I want to do it. So, yeah, it's not a self-help course. There's so many books out there, so many self-help books out there. If there was one really good one, then I think we'd all know about it by now. If there was one book you could read that's going to change your life, that would be brilliant. But I honestly think there's 8 billion of us on this planet at the moment, and we probably need 8 billion self-help books because as much as we're all connected, as much as we're all part of the universe, the multiverse, whatever your belief system is, I feel like we're all connected in some way. But we are all individuals, that's the thing. Each one of us has grown up with their own epigenetics. Everyone's grown up with their individual family, their individual response to their family. So it makes us all really different. It's always a surprise then when you get out into the world and find out other people had different experiences. I've been privileged enough to realize as I've grown up, as I've heard more about other people's stories, other people's childhoods, how lucky I was, how incredibly fucking lucky I was. I heard a statistic just the other day, just as a side note. There's more chance of getting six numbers in the lottery six times in a row than there was that you, actually you, were born. So that your parents met, that your grandparents met, that you were the egg that got fertilized from the sperm. It's, yeah, it's absolutely incredible. The probability that, you know, each one of us ended up here where we are, you know. And then we landed in the family we landed in. We landed in the country we were born in the country that we were born in so many just lucky or unlucky circumstances that could have led to who and where you are today but that's on a side note so so i wanted to talk about my childhood a little bit our house was always full of people so we always had visitors when i was a kid it was my house that we all met up at where everyone came during the summer holidays and stuff like that. And what's really lovely is that my mum is still in really good contact with some of my school friends that I don't even see anymore and I don't have any contact with anymore, but they still go and visit mum and mum still has contact with them, so that's lovely. But in our family, it was very, let's say, boisterous. It could get quite loud sometimes, you know. Mum and Dad were both 18 when I was born, so they were very young parents. And, yeah, it it could be very loud. It could be that a plate might get thrown across the room, a door might get slammed. But the thing was, minutes later, it could all be good again, you know, and it's like, who wants a cup of tea? And my dad was an expert at that. My dad was an absolute expert at, breaking the tension after there'd been an argument. He was just one of the funniest people that I know, one of the kindest people that I've ever known. We'd all be sitting there, long faces, fuming, and Dad would get up and go to go into the kitchen, 
and would, I don't know if I can describe it well, but he would put his foot in the way of the door so that when he opened the door it banged against his foot and then he would hold his head and pretend that it banged his head on the door. And it was just like his routine and we could never resist not smiling and not laughing and it was always so great for breaking the tension. And so it was a house household where that was quite normal, you know, like you lost your temper, you got angry. It didn't mean that you weren't loved anymore or you didn't love someone anymore. It just meant you were angry at the time. And so, as it always is with kids, I grew up believing that that was like how everybody lived. You know, it's quite sad that in some cases, in the worst situations for children, that they get into that belief that just they just automatically assume that that's normal. And I heard a, a quote recently, I think it was from Gabor Mate, who said, yeah, we have to adapt. If you have trauma as a child, you can only adapt to it because you are so dependent on those other people, on your caregiver for your survival. And so the other option to adapting if you were as a child, if you had the realization that your caregiver is not able to give you the care that you need and how devastating that would be. And so it's like this protection mechanism that we had as children just to normalize situations, to make them bearable. And yeah, that can sit quite deep then, obviously. Gabo Mate's got a really interesting take on trauma. There is a lot of criticism that he says that, that he almost puts every illness and every psychological problem down to childhood trauma, which I think is a justified criticism if that was the case, but I, I think he sees it more nuanced than that. So at home, it was absolutely normal that, you know, you'd scream, you'd shout, you'd get angry at the door. I don't know how many times I left home when I was a kid. And it was really frustrating because I would say, like, okay, that's it, I'm off, I can't stand it here with you anymore. Like, as more as a teenager, I guess. And my mum would say, yeah, okay, then see ya. Got everything you need and just really not pay that much attention. And I'd storm outside the door and end up at the end of the street thinking, well, what the fuck am I going to do now? <laughs> Knowing at that moment I'm going to sheepishly... sheepishly have to creep back in at some time, yeah, and do the walk of shame. The biggest realization for me was as I got together with the mother of my two kids here, who really couldn't deal with that kind of volume that for her perceived aggression, because she came from a family where arguments would end very abruptly with a physical threat or physical violence so the problem was at the time that you know neither of us were able to vocalize what the problem was it was just like you're too loud and this is perfectly normal and you know there was no real reflection there which made it difficult but we were together for 20 years so like further down the line I sometimes sort of had the feeling that I just lost every argument immediately that I got loud because that would be turned against me. You can't talk to you when you're in that kind of mood. And then she would go and then I would be left there feeling frustrated or get even angrier or whatever. So that was quite tumultuous. So I started thinking about ways that I could, you know, maybe get on top of my anger during that time. 
but really it was just about well you need to calm down a little bit you know and no real practice and no real education in any way talking with my daughter later was really one of the big things that made a difference that hearing from her how afraid she was of me you know and looking back now yeah six foot 15 14 and a half 15 stone guy shouting at the top of his voice and slamming doors and you know that's gonna make people afraid isn't it that's couldn't see it that was the thing I could never see it that it was going to make anyone afraid because in my mind nobody was ever in any danger there was the thought of you know taking that anger and turning it to a person just wasn't there you know it was like physical objects but yeah that can be scary and that can be hurtful and I don't know how many times I've felt like as the cup has been leaving my hand and flying through the room back in those days, that the second that it was out of my fingers, just knowing, oh, fuck, oh, no, not again. What have you done? You know, this instant realisation. So, yes, learning that the daughter was afraid of me was really horrible. And during that time, I was in a... In, my next relationship again with somebody who really needed harmony was very disturbed by my volume and the again the perceived aggression for slightly different reasons and I, I would say it's probably one of the biggest regrets that I've got and you know it's this question of should you have regrets if you change things in the past where would you be today? I think it's absolutely valid to regret the fact that I caused somebody else pain, that I behaved in a way that when I look back at it from my standpoint from today, it could have been better. It could have been less painful for me and for others. So yeah, I think there's, there's a legitimacy in regret. But that's for everyone to decide, isn't it, for themselves. So I wanted to get to what I actually regret. One of my biggest regrets is not understanding how brains work, not understanding how our inner children can affect the way we behave, not understanding the freeze, fight, flee, fuck mechanism that is very basic and instinctive in a lot of cases. And this wonderful woman who I loved so much would stand opposite me I would get angry and she would go into like a freeze mode she would say nothing she would withdraw into herself but she would also have like this appeasing smile on her face and it wasn't conscious but for me can you imagine I'm like angry I'm bouncing up and down with anger I'm in an absolute rage and she doesn't answer me and she smiles back at me and it just made me so much more angry you know how can you smile at this moment if I'd have known then what I know now you know that's the point isn't it and that's where the regret comes from if I'd have known then that it was her defense it was her inner child that she was in a state of shock that she was in a state of fear at that moment yeah Nowadays it doesn't happen, I'm so happy <laughs> to tell you. Nowadays it doesn't happen. With this view of 
in tense situations, in triggering situations, trying to see that the way the other person is reacting at that moment is not the loving, adult, wonderful person that you're in love with or that you're friends with, but it is this five-year-old, you know, it's six, seven, eight-year-old, this child that's being triggered. And yeah, do you want to be the guy? <laughs> do I want to be the guy that stands there and shouts and screams at a five, six-year-old child? No, definitely not. I have to say, the whole anger thing has been a lot like like a recovery program for me in some ways, like the 12 steps and all that sort of stuff. Not that I'm an expert on any of that, but just things I've picked up. Also, they're about owning up to the past, apologizing for the past. I'm really happy to say it feels like I've been clean for 12 months. <laughs> Still get angry. I'm not trying to pretend to anyone at all that I don't get angry. What I can do, though, is in those moments of anger, detach more. In those moments of anger, look at why I'm getting angry and not who's making me angry. I can disassociate the person who was, you know, perhaps in my old view, caused me to be angry. It's the situation that's causing me to be angry. We've all had a part of producing the situation that's there. But it's the situation, it's not the person. So yeah, huge steps for me. The first one was um, non-violent communication. So again, like all things, I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. But I've done a couple of courses, learned some basics. And I think just having a grasp of those basics made a huge difference. So non-violent communication is a like a method that was developed by a guy called Marshall Rosenberg. I will put links in. So I think one of the absolute basics of non-violent communication is when you hear a statement that you feel is triggering you, first of all, it's this big thing, take a breath. You know, It's Buddhism to a T. It's about just pausing for that moment. Don't let your inner child react, don't let your gut react, don't let your instinct react. Take a step back and take a breath. That's the very first thing that helped me. Often times though, I would take a breath and then still get completely angry and completely lose my shit and feel that I was totally justified in losing my shit. But yeah, that's the steps. The next thing that I learned with nonviolent communication was really this First of all, make sure that we are going to have an argument. <laughs> make sure there is a disagreement there in the first place. So don't react to what you think you've heard and don't react to what you think the other person have said, has said. Check that out, first of all. You know, it can be just really simple. As simple as saying, well, this is what I think I just heard. Is that what you wanted to say? And it's so wonderful when sometimes the other person just said, no, not at all. It wasn't my intention. And you've already diffused it. The argument's already finished, you know, and you've saved yourself a whole day of that horrible gut-wrenching feeling of being angry at someone or whatever. Yeah. Another step is then to try to recognize the need that is behind the other person's statement. 
I'm not going to even try and get into uh, giving anybody any kind of lesson on nonviolent communication. I'll tell you a couple of things that I've done that have made a huge difference. And if you go away and try those things out for the next six months or whatever and never, ever come back to this podcast, then that's fine as well. You know, like I said, it's not a self-help course. So yeah, Marshall Rosenberg, Nonviolent Communication. Take a look. Um, you can take away just from the first couple of videos a couple of really good tools. You need the practice of trying to use it in less explosive situations. I think that's the trick, you know. We've all got these great ideas and we've all read about these great tools of how you're supposed to conduct yourself in an argument and all of that sort of thing. But the fact is, the moment when we need it most, we've usually forgotten that. You know, it's usually gone already. So practice in small things in the everyday, just things where there is no sign of conflict, but just test your skills and check your communication. It's really interesting how many just little things over the course of the day are really just misunderstandings, misinterpretations, reflections of your own mood. You know, it's like you can get the same text from your partner first thing in the morning when you're in a rush to go to work or just after you've had a horrible meeting at work and the message about looking forward to seeing you what time will you be home for dinner can just be a trigger at that moment you know it's like oh, i now that at the same time if you've just come back from lunch and you're feeling very relaxed and you've got a nice peaceful afternoon in front of you for whatever reason and your partner says, I'm really looking forward, uh, sends a text which says, I'm looking forward to seeing you tonight and what time you're going to be there for dinner. It's like, oh yeah, great, I'm really looking forward to it too. So it's exactly the same text. It's you, it's about you, it's about how you perceive at the end of the day. And not letting your mood and not letting your perception decide your actions. So after nonviolent communication and discovering that, I think the next really interesting thing for me was discovering a guy called Alain de Botton. And the first book I read of his was The Course of Love, which is a lovely book. It's just a lovely book. It's a story of two people who meet and fall in love and have affairs and fall out of love and fall back into love. And, you know, just like an everyday love story. But there is also like a, a narration that runs through the book at the same time of why they're behaving the way that they are you know what responsibility is there for the uh, well are they behaving the way that they're behaving you know what are the needs that are there how much of it is is guided by the inner child how much of it is not two adults that are in a relationship together but two children who both just need attention and need to feel seen and it's lovely it's a really really lovely book which opened up my eyes to this whole aspect of the inner child. The problem being, I was absolutely convinced, like I've said, I just had the perfect childhood. My childhood was wonderful. I didn't have any trauma. Nobody beat me. Nobody starved me. Nobody chastised me. I don't feel like I can put any responsibility for any of my actions now on my childhood or on my parents, which led to a lot of conflict. <laughs> so, being with a partner who came with more childhood trauma, let's just put it that way, and also aware of their childhood trauma and trying to work on their childhood trauma. I definitely can recommend reading The Course of Love if you 
are interested in learning a little bit about that and a little bit about that you know maybe what's really going on underneath the underneath the the basics in your relationship with other people not just loving relationships it's the same wherever we are wherever we have wherever we interaction with other human beings you know that's a relationship already and that can be influenced by their inner children so yeah realizing the fact that it was okay to say as a child i can give you a, an example i think that's the easiest way probably as a child like i said i think i was quite sensitive my dad was so lovely and so funny and so caring and hated to see anybody sad or left out or anything like that but his way of dealing with that wasn't to give you a cuddle and say oh come on love you it's all going to be all right you know his way of dealing with it was to make a joke to try and lift your spirits you know and i think there were times when i was a kid i just didn't feel like i was being taken seriously in that case as a teenager in puberty it was also really difficult dealing with my dad's sense of humor i went through a whole phase of not finding him very funny at all <laughs> still loved him still felt loved but didn't really find him very funny that was the point but yeah realizing that he was doing his best he was doing his absolute best and he was doing it with love and my mum in so many things as well they you know they did their best and it's absolutely not a criticism of them to say, sorry, but the best wasn't necessarily what I needed at the time, you know? And if I'd have had something different, maybe something different. The thing is, this is really higher level complaining because um, I had so little to complain about when I compare with other people, but that's always the thing with comparisons, isn't it? Do I still have the right that those things have affected me? Yeah, of course I do. But again, nobody's to blame, are they? The really great thing about that, though, is neuroplasticity. You, know, you can change your brain if you recognize that you've got like patterns, if you recognize the fact that there are certain things that trigger you to behave in a certain way. You can actually adapt your brain to deal with that so you can establish new connections and again that's all about in my opinion it's not about reading the book and knowing that it's possible it's about doing it in the little tiny things every day so i try not to have like the same cup i drink out of every day and every time i use like different cups if i go for a walk i really don't like walking back the way i went i think maybe sometimes uh, it's been a little bit obsessive but the interesting thing is i think anybody who's like reached a certain age has probably recognized how much faster time goes by the older you get the quicker the years flash by a lot of that has got to do with the fact that your brain is you know it it tries to be i was going to say lazy but it's not lazy it's ecologically sound it tries to save as much energy as possible and so it has set routines and it has set patterns and sets of neurons that are connected that yeah something happens and oh right we'll use this program and some of them are much harder to change some of them are just much more difficult to change than others like anger and 
the easiest way I've found is to begin with the small things, like change just little patterns in your life, you know? Sleep on the other side of the bed for a change. <laughs> Whatever, you know? Sleep with pyjamas instead of without pyjamas, or without pyjamas instead of with pyjamas. Not suggesting radical change, but what was important for me was just to say, you know, what my first steps were, what my first basic steps were along the way, and the things that I felt just sat well and made a difference immediately. If you want to get into deep dive philosophical, how Jung has established a lot of the basic thinking about shadows and shadow work. More modern and more accessible for me has been Jamie Carto. So yeah, it's someone who's influenced me so much because he loves playing games to make us see some of our foibles and to get in touch with some of our covered up feelings and our demons as as he calls them the wonderful thing i think about jamie's approach which was an eye-opener for me was it's it's not about getting rid of those feelings it's not about getting rid of those demons or you know saying goodbye to your inner child i think that's one of the saddest things that i've ever heard is like you know have the conversation with your inner child and then say goodbye to them that's fucking horrible, isn't it? It made me feel sad. Jamie's way of working is much more see the inner child, talk to the inner child, make contact, thank it for everything it's done because it's really at your best interests at heart and then find another way to use its skills, you know, to integrate and, yeah, that just feels so much warmer than anything else that I've heard in that direction and really just made the journey so much easier for me so as always thank you so much for listening i'm assuming that you've been listening for 20 odd minutes if you've now got to this part of the podcast if you feel moved if you feel like you've got a question if you feel like you'd like to let go of some kind of opinion please, please, please do so. My email address is Sean. It's S-H-A-U-N, like the sheep, not like Connery. So S-H-A-U-N at L-O-M-G dot earth. That's my League of Mindful Gentlemen address. And yeah, I'd love to hear what you think. I'd love to know what your processes are. And I'd like to know if there's any questions. So yeah feel free to do so and until next time be kind and take care